Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is a pre-recorded program presented by KSL News Radio and Intermountain Healthcare. Healthy Mind Matters, brought to you by Intermountain Healthcare. We discuss the important community issues of stronger mental health, emotional wellness, and the growing problem of addiction. Here's our host, Maria Chaleos, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for joining us today for Healthy Mind Matters. Today we are talking about treatment options for addiction. And with me, Dr. Robert Mendenhall. He is an addiction medicine physician at Intermountain's Day Spring Treatment and Recovery Center. And doctor, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about what you have seen in the middle of this pandemic and how it is impacting those folks who come to you for help. Yeah, I think whether you do psychiatry or addiction um, during this pandemic, during this quarantine time, we're all seeing quite a bit of you know, increased problems, um, people feeling a little more isolated, a little more anxious, depressed, and it's had a negative effect on addiction as well. We've seen people that have had, you know, many years of sobriety that have relapsed. We've had people that have really struggled to sort of find a foothold on their addiction and and uh, get the help they need because everything has to be virtual. And, um, you know, it's been a, a bit of a struggle for a lot of people. We've also seen increases in overdose deaths and, um, you know, suicides and things like that. I think this is so important to talk about because I think often people feel like they're alone. They're the only one struggling and they have so much guilt um, surrounding their addiction. Talk about that just for a moment, how folks aren't alone. You just mentioned, you know, you're seeing a huge increase in people who are struggling. Yeah. One of the things that we do in the treatment of addiction is try to get people together to recognize that you're not alone, that it's not just you, you know, Um, and being able to kind of talk about the addiction, talk about uh, what works and doesn't work, talk with other people who have had some success, talk with other people that have had some failures, you know, recognize that those things are part of the process um, is really important, you know, and whether it's addiction in the sort of standard sense that we think about it, where people are using sort of illegal drugs that they get off the street or whether it's addiction from, you know, prescription medications, which is very common as well. Um, you know, some people feel like there's no help out there, but there there is. There's quite a bit of help out there. Let's talk about that. What are the options for folks right now that are struggling? Yeah, I think sometimes we have a tendency to sort of feel that the only way to get treatment is to do something like a hospitalization where you go to, you know, a hospital and you get off the drugs and a rehab that takes 30 or 45 days to sort of, you know, be in these uh, sort of residential places for so long. But, um, you know, the movement of psychiatry or addiction treatment right now, the movement is towards being able to treat people based on the level that they need. And so we've opened up many different out options, options that allow you to still sleep at home, um, but outpatient options that can really work well for treatment and get you to a place where, um, you know, you're getting better and you're getting the help you need, but without necessarily interrupting your life quite as much as a rehab. How do people know what is the best option for them or when they really should seek treatment too? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when 
knowing when to seek treatment is a hard thing. A lot of people kind of rationalize the use that they're doing or they rationalize the feelings that they're having and they kind of say, well, this is normal or this is just temporary. But I think the kind of warning signs to look for are, um, you know, when you start to think about your drug, whether it's prescription drug or otherwise, so much that it's hard to get it out of your head, that it's something that you think about, you know, a lot of the day or most of the day. I think, you know, other warning signs include feelings of, you know, kind of euphoria, where the only time you feel any purpose or what only time you feel any um, sort of fulfillment in life is when you're using your, your substance, right? Um, I think other warning signs include when loved ones are starting to say, hey, what's going on here? You're, you know, this is something that we really need to worry about. I think that's time you should kind of take a step back and say, oh, maybe there is a problem here. Um, outside of that, I think when when you begin to notice those red flags, I think it's important to reach out to a professional, um, someone that has some help with addiction and, and has some experience with that. And they can kind of guide you. You know, some some addiction is severe enough that we do need a rehab. Um, sometimes we can treat it from an outpatient basis. Um, but having a professional that can help sort of evaluate the extent of things and what's going on and, and uh, sort of guide you in, in what the best options are is, is very helpful. And, you know, there's not a perfect solution to that. You know, I think the big thing is recognizing that you're having some of that focus, recognizing that you're having some of those sort of yearnings towards your drug of choice, but also sort of being really careful about um, continuing to have something there in your life that gives you a purpose, that gives you a fulfillment, that gives you a, a reason to live that can be sort of outside of that um, choice. And if, if that's really difficult to find, then maybe it is time to get help. How difficult is it right now for someone to get an appointment and to really talk with someone about whether they do have a problem? And not as difficult as you might think. Um, you know, I think same day appointments are somewhat rare um, in most clinics, but I think most of the time you can get in that week, um, you know, to see someone and to get, you know, some advice and get some guidance. And very often, you know, you can start some treatment options. Uh, usually they're virtual now, right? But you can start some treatment options within the first week or two. And it's important to move that quickly, right? Um, you know, the last thing you want if you feel like you need help is to have to wait two, two or three months to get in to see someone. Talk about families for a minute. Addiction impacts the whole family. What kinds of signs should family members be looking for? When do they know that someone in their family has a problem? Yeah, I think family members are much more in tune to it than the people themselves. Um, so I, I think that, you know, there's something about us sort of intrinsically knows when there's a problem, right, um, with our loved ones. So when use is becoming something that their world revolves around that use, when they're talking about it a lot, when they're saying things like, I can't live without this. If I don't have this, then my life is meaningless. Um, you know, if I don't have this, then I'm not going to be able to do anything. I think family members are pretty good about recognizing, oh, that that's not a normal thing to say, or that's not a normal thing to do. Um, but those are kind of the warning signs you want, you know, and I think more often than not, family members see those warning signs, but they kind of ignore them or or they're met with a lot of hostility from their loved one when they sort of try to broach that topic. And um, it's important, I think, to not not necessarily ignore it. You don't want to nag your loved one to get help necessarily. But at the same time, you don't you don't want to uh, ignore it and, and sort of write it off as, oh, that's just me either. So what does a conversation look like between a family member, say a spouse, um, when they believe that there is a problem, 
but they know that really their spouse has to make the decision. Yeah. These are hard conversations. These are conversations that are never comfortable. They're not comfortable for either person in the conversation. Um, But, you know, typically what I recommend is swing it up in as threatening a way as possible uh, to kind of go to your loved one and ask them, you know, what do you think about this, this use? What do you think about how things are going? Is, is it something that you, you know, feel that you need to get off of at some point? Is it something you feel like you need to get off of now? Um, you know, helping them to understand where their motivation is and, and at what point of change they're ready to be. Um, I think sometimes we make the mistake of kind of saying, no, this needs to happen right now. And sometimes that's necessary, right? We, we hear about intervention and we kind of see that. And sometimes that's necessary when it's a life or death kind of situation. Um, but uh, more often than not, I think it's important to sort of have that conversation in, in a more non-threatening way, in a way that helps them to sort of find their own motivation rather than sort of use the motivation from the loved one. Right. We need to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk more about uh, the differences between prescription drugs and illegal substances and how that complicates the process for families and even possibly for the people who are addicted. And you're listening to Healthy Mind Matters on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.